planting in Prague for seven years, and uh, that's arguably the the best parts of our lives. I think, uh, at least it is for for us and our kids too, they... uh, uh, you know, Cole was there for, with us uh, for five years, and uh, he still doesn't know who he is. Is he Canadian? Is he Czech? He doesn't know, but uh, his, his heart is over there, too. Um, and our daughter, um, she was there with us for two and a half years, so uh, her, her calling or her tie to Prague isn't as strong as what Cole's would be, but still very strong. Um, so we are kind of like pastors to, to missionaries. And uh, that's kind of a, a snapshot of where we're all uh, at. Uh, we've got about 56 adults and 30-plus children that we take care of and spread throughout 10 different countries. And um, um, it, it's an interesting job, to say the least. We've been there now for uh, nearly two years. And, uh, our home base is in Montevideo, Uruguay. And... Uh, that the longer we're in this role, the the more we see its need to be there. Um, you may be wondering, what does member care look like? Uh, yes, it is caring for min- uh, missionaries, but it it looks differently from day to day. Sometimes we look like grandparents taking care of uh, missionary kids. Um, Mom and dad need a break, and kids need love. And so we do that. Sometimes it's doing yard work for missionaries who are just too busy. Sometimes it's cooking a meal. And uh, some, well, it, it involves a lot of emails, a lot of WhatsApp, a lot of Skype, and uh, most of all, a lot of prayer. Maria and I, we, we, uh, we have a prayer meeting every day because uh, uh, that is just so important um, for, for our, our ministry, but also for them. Um, so far, we've... We've visited missionaries in in Argentina several times, in Bolivia, in uh, Brazil, in Ecuador, in Colombia, and uh, besides the in Montevideo. And no matter where we've been, uh, I walk away with just a greater sense of appreciation for what our missionaries uh, go through on a day-to-day basis. A lot of their struggles are are just you know cultural. Uh, you know, it, when we first moved to uh, Montevideo, I, I thought, man, the driving here is crazy. And, and Lord, you really have to deal with my fear because we need a car. Tr- uh, you know, transportation within the city isn't as easy as, as it was in Prague. So we needed a car and, oh, Lord, I, I really don't feel good driving here. But, you know, you just have to face your fear and, Lord, go before us. And, and it's all good. You get used to it after a while. And then we go to a place like Bolivia and it's just like mayhem. Oh, I could never live here, Lord. Hey, yeah, yeah. What are people doing here? And then we go to Colombia and it's even worse. Uh, you know, when we book our, tr- our, our tickets to Colombia, you know, you get all these pop-up ads and... And these pop-up ads recommend, don't rent a car in Colombia because you won't like it. You won't be able to drive there. It is just utterly chaos. But anyway, uh, that's only one, one part of life that, they, that they're challenged with. Uh, other, other concerns are personal safety. Uh, you know, in Brazil, um, a, if you're a male or anyone riding a motorcycle, you're not allowed to wear a helmet. It's safety first, you know, uh, because a lot of crimes 
get done while being on a motorcycle. And if you're a witness to that crime, it's hard to identify somebody wearing a black helmet. So, no helmets. Weird. In Colombia, uh, they have a lot of uh, motorcycle taxis. All right, sounds good. And you need the motorcycle because they can wiggle and maneuver way better than cars. But a male is not allowed to be a, a rider on a motorcycle taxis. Why? Because a lot of assassinations and thefts happen by the hands of males. So you're not allowed to, as a male, you know, to... That's discrimination. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just different, okay? And, and uh, you know, uh, several of our missionaries in Brazil, they've been shot, and they've been uh, held up. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we were just in Brazil uh, shortly before we came to Canada, and we visited three couples, yes, three, and each one of them has been touched by crime in, in one form or another. Uh, they've been held up and, and robbed and, and so forth. So uh, that's, you know... And then there's also the spiritual component. Um, Uruguay, for instance, is probably more, well, the most atheistic country in, in all of South America. Um, in other parts of South America, there's a lot of synchristic uh, ideas of, uh, infused in Catholicism and, and so forth. And uh, it's dark. Uh, we live a kilometer away from the beach in Montevideo, and we often go for prayer walks. And uh, from time to time, we see animal sacrifices uh, on the beach. Uh, it's just, this is the world we live in. So there's a spiritual component, obviously, to, uh, to the work of missionaries. Okay, enough about that. Today I want to look at two passages that I hope will do at least three things. Remember your missionaries and pray for them. Secondly, to remind you that each of us is commanded to be God's witnesses. And third, to encourage you to continue caring for your body. So the, uh, the first passage is found in Mark 3, 1 to 6, and it's on the screen. If you would like to read there or use your Bibles, it's fine. Mark 3, 1 to 6. Again, he entered, he being Jesus, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here! And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The second passage I'd like for us to look at is 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, and then we'll jump a couple of verses to verse 11 and read until uh, the end of 27. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then uh, Paul gives a bunch of spiritual gifts which aren't exhaustive. There are other passages that, that you know, 
give more uh, spiritual gifts. So uh, if you don't see yourself in this list, don't worry about it. God has given you something for the body. So Paul writes wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then in verse 11, all these, uh, do I have it? Yeah, perfect. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit whom apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members of, in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You know, I'm going to pause there for a moment. This is the second time that Paul has, has pointed out that it is not up to us who gets what gift. It's the Spirit. It's God who, gets, who determines what you should have. What do you think he, he did that for? You know, uh, whether it be in my previous pastoral experience or or in Prague or even now in, in uh, South America, uh, I, I realize people are the same. We get a little bent out of shape when our focus isn't right, and, and we get jealous of, of the gifts that other people have. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'll never be a Dave Kaler, and that's okay. Uh, I'm okay with that. But sometimes uh, I forget that. And I need to be reminded, as, as the Corinthians did too. You know, you read in the beginning of Corinthians, there was a lot of fighting. What were they fighting about? This. <laughs> this. It's the Lord who decides what you get. And uh, that means you're special. That means He wants you to use what He's given you for the good of the body. Verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow a greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, be, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Jesus. What a beautiful name. Name above every name. And what a privilege it is to be part of your body. Jesus, be our head. Speak to us. 
and give us ears to hear. Help us as a body to behave uh, uh, as a body that gets along with each other. May there be perfect unity and uh, uniformity to form this one body. Father, for the parts that are of our bodies that are withered, um, we ask for restoration so that we can be who you've made us to be. Father, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the blessing they are to us. Thank you for the their ongoing work here that you're doing here. The, the fact that we get to partner, partner with you is an amazing thing. So, Father, for the rest of this morning, um, may our hearts receive and be open for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You might be wondering why these two passages, you know, the, the withered hand and, and the body, and I hope it's become obvious by now. But uh, for one, we need stories. Stories help us connect. They, they, God, we need God's stories. And uh, we need to see ourselves in God's story. And then uh, hopefully uh, we'll come to understand Paul's teaching passage a little better. In Mark 3, we see um, Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. This man, while important to the story, doesn't do anything extraordinary. In fact, he's rather nondescript, and he's someone we can relate to. While healing the man certainly is the climax of the story, the context surrounding this healing is about the proper meaning of Sabbath. We all know that keeping the Sabbath day was a pretty big deal to Jews. In fact, it was central to their Jewish life. And one of the reasons God commanded Israel to keep the Sabbath holy was to remember their proper place. In Exodus 20, where we have the Ten Commandments, God reminds Israel that he made the world in six days and then rested on the seventh. If he rested, then he, um, as the, sorry, then we as created beings ought to as well. We often have the nasty habit of forgetting that that we're made in God's image and not the other way around. God, our Creator, makes the rules, and we should be okay with that. The Sabbath was also given to remind Israel and us where they and where we came from. In Deuteronomy 5, God reminds us that, that before getting to know Him, they were slaves in Egypt, and we were slaves to sin. And it was God who saved them by delivering them with His mighty hand and outstretched arm. By remembering the Sabbath, they were to take time to remember the God who saved them. The Sabbath was intended far more than to provide physical and emotional rest after working all week. And, you know, uh, we, I think we'd all be uh, willing to admit that after a long, hard week, we need a downtime. We need rest. And following the command not to work then freed people to worship and reflect on the God of their salvation. I need that too. It's not just about physical rest. We need spiritual rest. We need emotional rest. And so Sabbath is a time of restoration. After a long week, people got physically and emotionally recharged to face another week ahead. And through worship, they were spiritually restored in their relationship to God by spending time just reconnecting with Him and with the body. Even the land was supposed to experience Sabbath. Every seven years, fields were to lie fallow. The Sabbath is a reset button to restore things to the way things are to be. But long before Jesus' time, the principle behind Sabbath was lost to legalism and 
And by the time we get to the New Testament, we see Pharisees intently obeying the letter to the law to the nth degree, but they have failed miserably on understanding what lay behind the spirit of the law. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, the Pharisees are about to get schooled on the subject. At the end of Mark 2, they accuse Jesus of unlawfully picking grain. And uh, Jesus' response was that the Sabbath was made for man and not the other way around. In the next chapter, another Sabbath, Mark notes, uh, comes along and the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see if he's going to heal a guy. You know, it's interesting to me, you know, by just watching him, they, they expect a healing and they don't deny that he can heal. They've seen it before. But what they're watching for is whether he'd do it on a Sabbath. They're more concerned about Sabbath breaking than about the man. And so the Pharisees have yet to learn. Uh, and Jesus is okay with that. He's about to ruffle their feathers a little more. Hands are a part of who we are. Zoologists identify the human hand as one of the characteristics that set us apart from animals. While a monkey's hands are similar, their thumbs are structured differently, and thus they limit their dexterity. Only we have the versatility needed to type on a keyboard, paint a picture, or play a piano. Now, only if if my brain knew uh, what notes were on the, the keyboard, maybe I could play one too, but I have the, you know, dexterity to do so. Um, the Bible references the hand roughly 1,400 times. And some, some of the references uh, are to God's hands in an anthropomorphic kind of way, a fancy word that gives human features to God as who we know as spirit. For instance, Exodus 13, Moses commands Israel, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, for out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand... The Lord brought you out from this place. Other references speak to people's response of faith and worship. David wrote in Psalm 63, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. When we get to the Gospels, we see Jesus performing healing miracles. They often coincided with the touch of his hand, whether it was Peter's mother-in-law, blind Bartimaeus, or an unnamed leper. Jesus touched them. Shortly after Pentecost, the apostles prayed for greater power in ministry. And Acts 4.30 records them as crying out to God, saying, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And you know, if you recall what we did earlier, we were stretching out our hands to, to Dave. You know, and Rob laid hands on me. You know, we, we use our hands all the time. Hands enable us to perform actions. It's all, what all these things have in common. But the man in our passage has a withered hand. Any actions he can perform are extremely limited at best. The parallel account in Luke says, Luke 6 says it was his right hand. How many of you are left-handed? According to Google, you're, you're, you belong to the 13% of the people who are left-handed. So, I, you know, I'm assuming, you know, by the odds, this man was right-handed. At least naturally 
right-handed. Now that's a big deal. I, Dave, is it true in Africa you, you wouldn't shake somebody's hand with the left hand? You'd only do with the right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the ancient Near East culture, to do to shake somebody's left hand was a, a disgrace because your left hand is used for you know sanitary reasons. Uh, you know when you need to go to the bathroom. So the left hand, if you do that, you're telling them what you think of them. So that's a, that's a big no-no. You use your right hand only. But this man's right hand is withered. So he can't even, he can't even shake your hand. We don't know why his hand was withered. We don't know if it was a disease or happened by accident. The Gospels don't say, but one commentator believes the Greek rendering of the text suggests that this man was not born this way. However, this shriveled hand came about. Uh, I think it's safe to say that having a shriveled hand would have been shaming. With his withered right hand, he can't make a living. For fear of shame, he can't raise his hands in worship because to do so would expose his deformed hand. He's already looked down upon because he's not whole. Why should he open himself up to any more condemnation? We don't know if he was married or if he had children. But if he did, he wouldn't have been able to toss his child up in the air and catch him. He wouldn't have been able to embrace his wife. He wouldn't have been able to do the daily tasks everyone else took for granted. But Jesus sees more than a man with a shriveled hand. He sees a man and he sees him for what he is and could be if he were restored. So he commands the man to come, but before he heals the man, Jesus asks the Pharisees whether or not it's, it's lawful to do good or evil, to save a life or kill. And the, of course, the Pharisees know their answer to this rhetorical question, but they remain silent. Mark says Jesus is angry. He's really angry. He's stirred in his spirit. He's grieved at their hardness. More important to the Pharisees, seeing this man's hand restored is the rigid observance of keeping Sabbath. But to Jesus, what matters more is the man has lost the use of his hand. And Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, is able to give it back. In using the same command God gave Moses to stretch out his hand before parting the Red Sea, Jesus demonstrates the true meaning of Sabbath, restoration. While the good news of this story is about healing and restoration, I think there's something more than just a physical healing at stake. I believe that all of us can in some way relate to this man. We all have insecurities that rise up from time and time again. They, they, they make us feel less than whole. Then there are times we feel the weight of guilt, of sin. We, we feel shame from either something we've done or something terrible that has been done to us. And the devil has a heyday and we need restoration. A missionary man whom I'll call Bob had an addiction to his cell phone. He wasn't looking at porn or anything like that. He was just on his phone constantly. And it prevented him from truly being present. 
Two of his teammates approached him, and he accepted their reproof, and Bob and his wife came to us for counseling. We were amazed at, uh, at what, what came out. The wife said, I, I really don't lo- have any feelings of love for my husband. I'm only in this marriage out of obedience to the Lord. And this man was so full of denial that he, no, no, she's, she's no, no, she, I know she loves me. But she st- sat there cold, stone-hearted, and, and no, I, I feel nothing. And we, we talked and we asked questions. And at one point, I had related an experience I had mar- with Maria. I had I'd been sitting on the couch. I w- was on my computer. And she comes up to me and just stands there. And I, I, you know, what can I do for you? What would you like? I would just like for you to be present, Maria said. And at the word present, the man started crying. And he wept like a baby for half an hour at least. His marriage was in disarray. He was detached from his kids, detached from his wife, unproductive in ministry. His cell phone addiction had contributed to the withering of relationships around him. And with the Lord's help, we could be instruments of of, uh, deliverance. Um, shortly after being delivered, Bob said, I feel like I'm sober. Today, he's a different person. He's preaching every Sunday. And uh, he's much more involved as a father. And uh, the relationship with his wife is is far different than it was. A 33-year-old woman, we'll call Sue, uh, lives with her missionary parents. She's been diagnosed as bipolar and with severe depression. Her father told us not to expect Sue to interact interact with us during our visit. But when we were introduced, it didn't take long before a casual conversation began. At one point, Sue remarked how uh, we were only there for her parents because they're missionaries. And uh, at which I, I interrupted her to say that she too was part of the package. And immediately her demeanor changed. And... Uh, uh, she began to ask what we were doing uh, that afternoon. It was her way of trying to invite us into her life. And uh, so we suggested a coffee, and she, she, uh, she jumped at the chance. In our coffee date, she was so vulnerable with us, as if she held nothing back. And, and we were just amazed. And I, it led me to ask her, you know, first of all, thank her for the gift of this vulnerability that she's offering us. And why she would be so vulnerable. And she said, because when you said I mattered, I felt like I belonged. And I'm important. And uh, at which Maria said, well, we've been praying for you ever since we heard you were hospitalized. And she said, you've been praying for me? You've never even met me before? And you've been praying? And she just fell and she broke down in tears in the coffee shop and just uh, sobbed on Maria's shoulder. Sue still suffers, but she has and continues to stretch out her withered parts to us and to the Lord. When we saw her for the very first time, she readily admitted that she and the Lord weren't on very good terms. She had stopped praying to him, but uh, she still believed in him, but her relationship with him was withered. Now she asks us to pray with her on our WhatsApp calls while her healing 
hasn't been immediate. We believe she's in the process. Hannah is Sue's mother. We first met Hannah about a year and a half ago at a conference, and our first impressions of Hannah made us believe Hannah was burnt out. One of the things that stands out during our casual conversation is she couldn't remember the ages of her children or when they were born. Um, That was odd to me. As we continued, um, Maria shared of a Christian brain scientist who teaches extensively on detoxing our brain of negative thoughts. And uh, Maria related also how the author encouraged beginning each day with a simple exercise that aided in changing our, our thought patterns by, first of all, thanking God for a minute. No matter what's going on in life, we thank Him because He already knows what's going on. As, as Rob said in the Lord's Prayer, our Father knows what we need. And then moving on to praising God for a, a minute be, uh, for who He is, and then before worshiping Him for a, a minute. That seemed to get Hannah's attention, and then she asked if we could talk privately the next day. The next day we did meet, and Hannah seemed to have a different spirit about her. And the first words that came out of her mouth explained why. She says, I did it. We were just like, what did you do? I don't know. Uh, well, you suggested I thank God, and I praised Him, and I worshipped Him, and that's made a difference in my mind. As we proceeded to talk, she expressed fatigue, joylessness, and a lack of motivation in life and ministry. According to her, she thought the solution lay in her reading the Bible more and praying more. And after a little while, I felt nudged by the Holy Spirit to ask Hannah what made her feel alive. She paused for a moment and then began talking about music and playing piano. And, and you know, for 15 minutes, we listened to her just, you know talk about piano playing and which hymn she liked and oh how it made her feel and sometimes she sang along and, and we just sat there and I was just smiling uh, and when she was done I said Hannah do you realize for the last 10-15 minutes you've been talking about music and as you've done so you have come alive you're smiling your countenance has changed do you ever play just for the simple fact of just worshipping the Lord oh it was like Thought hadn't entered her mind. I said, this is self-care. We worship God, yes, first and foremost, but this is good for you. Oh. Well, we saw Hannah again four months ago, over the course of four days. Um, Hannah, this is where we went to Columbia and, and saw traffic. Yeah. Um, Hannah was doing much better. Uh, But by her own admission, there were other things she was struggling with, one of which was the toll their daughter's mental health condition had on the home. Of course, in the course of several meetings, we were able to encourage her. And once again, Hannah was vulnerable in coming to us, and she willingly stretched out the withered parts of her life. Our role in member care is not so much to fix other people's problems, but to care and point them to Jesus, whether the person is a missionary or a child, or nationals like our friend Miguel that God has put in our path, we try to be proactive as we can because it's far easier to care for someone who seems to be doing well. But for those who are in crisis mode or feel weary and withered, they need to hear the words of Jesus saying, Come. 
stretch out your hand. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said before ascending to heaven, we'd receive power when the Holy Spirit came to be his witnesses to the world. And the spiritual gifts that he's given to each person to build up the body in unity for the purpose of mission. All these various gifts originate in one spirit. And in case we get bent out of shape over who has what, it's the Holy Spirit who decides who gets what. I like how the message puts it. Eugene Peterson writes, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up. It's not something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. He goes on to write in verse 19, But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you're a part of. In other words, it's not about us. It's all about Him. When Adam and Eve were created, Genesis 1 tells us they were created in God's own image. And then in uh, 128, God blessed them and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, so much so that God's image would be spread throughout the earth. Reproduction is part of body life. Reproduction was and still is God's idea. And so witnessing isn't just reserved for pastors or elders or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders. It's for us. Jesus tells us, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, go and make disciples of all nations. So it seems all the parts of the body are called to show off God's image and his salvation plan because God's command to be fruitful and multiply from a spiritual standpoint still exists. There are image bearers who are lost and they need someone to point them to Jesus. In Romans 10, Paul asks, How will those who are lost call on Him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him if they've never heard? And how are they to hear if no, someone doesn't tell them? Active witnessing for Christ become, comes easier to some than others, and, uh, and that's okay. And for those of you who find witnessing difficult, I encourage you to step out in faith and be who God made you to be. I'll never, one of the, the life lessons that I've learned from, from Dave here is uh, during their visit to Prague, we, I, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but, but Dave said something profound, and it'll, it'll stick with me the rest of my life. God made human beings, not human doings. So let's just be who God made me to be, and the doing will just come out of that. I just need to be. You just need to be. And uh, God gets the glory. You know, I, I think of uh, the uh, Andrew, the disciple. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about Andrew a whole lot. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything, you know, crazy huge or uh, noteworthy. But what he does do is really significant. It's Andrew who brings Peter and introduces him to Jesus. It's Andrew when Jesus wants to feed 5,000 and the disciples are going, how are we going to get all this food? It's Andrew who finds the little boy with the fish and the, the bread. That's really important. Maybe you're an Andrew. Or maybe you're boisterous Peter. Or maybe somewhere in between. The point is, use what you have. I think in one of the, the Gospels, the recording of, of uh, the feeding of 5,000, or maybe it was the 4,000 later on, but Jesus says, 
What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What do you have? What can you give the Lord that that causes Him to be glorified? God can use your witness, but He cannot use your silence. It's easy to focus on the visible parts of the body, but what about the parts that aren't? Unless you've had an endoscopy and we're awake for it, uh, we don't know what our stomachs look like, and I'm pretty grateful I don't, because I'm pretty, pretty sure it's not pretty. Um, and I'm sure my, the, my guts wouldn't win a, a beauty pageant. But we can't live without it very well. The way God has designed the human body is incredible. And it's a good way for us to understand how each part of the church's, uh, church works together. We really are dependent on every part. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. And it should also be involved in the healing. And because we're interconnected members of one body, we can celebrate when members do well. In member care, we stress the importance of self-care and rest. As important as that is, that's not enough. No one is an island unto themselves. We're made for relationship. We're made for community. And as such, we're, we're made to care, care for each other. The problem with missionaries is that they're often the ones pouring into others with very few pouring into them. And so it doesn't take very long for them to be operating out of a deficit. Ministry continues and they go through the motions, but they're, they're on the path toward burnout. The parts that were once vibrant with life are becoming withered. This just doesn't happen to missionaries in Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, or the seven other countries we've, we have missionaries in our care. It can ha- happen here. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. There are close to 60 one another passages in the New Testament. Roughly 60 exhortations to actually do something toward another person. One third of uh, the one another commands deal with the church getting along. Unity is a big deal. Another third of these commands instruct Christians to love each other. Pretty big deal as well. 15% stress that we should have an attitude of humility and deference toward one another. The remaining commands deal with how we should treat each other and bearing burdens, speaking truth, encouraging each other, comforting each other. Each member has an obligation toward the other members of the body so that the body can reach its full potential and so glorify God. I'll close by saying, uh, reading 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to hear the words of Jesus. Come, stretch out your hand. It is good for us to be here to listen to the words of Paul, to remind us that each one of us here has been given gifts to serve the body, to build up the body. 
it's good for us to remember, to hear, that when one part of the body hurts, we all are hurting. Father, I don't know everyone here, and I don't know their stories, but I, I, I would be daring to bet that each of us has parts that are, are withered. With their dreams. Their health concerns that make you feel withered. Their insecurities that you may have. That, that wither us. They, they cause the things that we, God has given us. The, the gifts to atrophy because we're so afraid to use them. People have said negative words to you. Damaging words. Words of death, not life. And they've kept you withered. Or you've sinned. And the weight of sin is just causing you to wither. David writes uh, his experience in Psalm 32. When he sinned and didn't confess, he felt like he was withering. But thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a way out. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sin, He is able and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we, we, we give you the withered parts that is caused by sin. But then there are the withered parts that are caused by shame. Shame that somebody has done something terrible to us. To us. And we bear this false guilt. But we feel less than who you've made us to be. And so, Father, we pray. That you restore the withered parts. Help us to remember remember who we are in Jesus. And oh God, help us to come alongside others to help their withered parts. To be the instrument of blessing and healing. To say, come, stretch out your hand. Father, thank you for this body. Thank you for the gifts that you've given this body. Thank you that your intention for this body is to magnify Jesus. And would you empower them again afresh with the Holy Spirit to be a a conduit of your blessing. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Before I I turn it over to Rob, uh, let me just uh, express how grateful we are to be here first of all. And uh, because it is always a treat to be here. And for your continued prayers, your support, obviously, too. Uh, we, we, you know, money is a great thing. It's a terrible thing at the same time. But it's a life we, the world we live in. So thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for making us feel a part of your family. Because that's how I feel. Anyway, so blessings to you. Thank you. So good. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And, um, you know, God wants to give us opportunity to respond. Um, when that man was summoned to stretch out his hand, Jesus, somewhat uh, insensitive to his feelings in the moment, got him to stand up in front of everybody before he told him to do that. And um, there's something to it about he called him up and the man did have to obey a summons and Jesus did all the work from there but there was this would you come up here he had to and um, 
so I want to give us an opportunity to say yes to the Lord. So the band's going to start playing, and thank you. And, you know, if you have been just uh, somewhere that you're bound up, somewhere you're oppressed, you know, sometimes when someone's speaking, they'll share a story, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, me too. If you've had that moment, I really do want to invite you in the name of the Lord to come up as a way of stretching out your hand. And maybe someone will come and pray for you. Maybe somebody won't. This is primarily about us and Jesus first, right? Every time we're coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to respond. You actually are able to set free. Maybe you've come up before. Maybe it's the third time up, the fourth time up. I just want to say, don't quit. Don't quit. I think sometimes 